Well, last week, uh, dear Paul Hallen, uh, our, uh, one of our intern disciples and on, is also on the Potential Church Planters team, uh, uh, spoke, did an outstanding job, if you missed it, amazing testimony. It's on the, it's on the website already, on the, under the podca- podcast, I don't know if we've got the video yet, but, but Paul did a great job. Paul, just stand up so that people can sort of give him a little clap here. Paul's here with his lovely wife and two kids, and uh, it's great to have you, Paul, and thank you so much. I was down doing a church consultancy down in Surrey, and, and uh, Paul's message was just so on the money. You know, we're in the, that part of the story where, where Jonah has been resurrected, if you like. His life went down to the pit, and God raised him up, and that was Paul's testimony, and did a great job of just unpacking that in the 21st century. One example of God's grace and mercy. Thank you again, Paul, and thank you, Lord. Today, though, we press on. We're into chapter 3. And if there is a, a verse of Scripture that I would want you to remember from this series, it is quite simply this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And uh, as you have heard, if you've been following the series, this is the pivotal verse in this book of Jonah, but actually more than that, interestingly, many Bible scholars have said that actually the Bible pivots on this, that you could find no finer, more succinct statement of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. Salvation, and we need saving, belongs, can only be found in the Lord, Jesus Christ our Savior. So there you have it. Forget everything else I say, but remember that. Wherever you are looking for your salvation, you will only find salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You can all applaud at that point. I will now bow and go home and have my Sunday lunch. Not yet. Okay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's have a look then at Jonah chapter 3, and we pick up the story. Jonah has survived his ordeal, his death experience, and beginning at the first verse, we're going to look at the whole of this little chapter, and it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overflown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that he, we will not perish. And when God saw what they did 
and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Well, the first thing to say, and if you're going to remember that verse, salvation belongs to the Lord, the second thing might be something that you could take away with you. And that's quite simply this, that our God is the God of the second chance. And thank God for that. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Our God is the God of the second chance. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to do my testimony now. Many of you have heard it anyway, but truthfully, my story is of two starts. You know, I made my first commitment to Christ, not coming from a church family, not being taken to church or anything, but I made my first commitment to Christ because of a, a history master who blurted out the reason for the hope that he had on one wet playground day when the, my student friends and I were, were trapped in our classroom. I was aged about 12 or 13. And at that point, I made my first commitment to Christ, and it was a wonderful thing. It began slowly, but very quickly I began to enjoy the presence of God, and, and I found that I was just enraptured by the presence and the person of God. I, I, I just thought, this is the most extraordinary thing. But long story short, by the time I was in my, my mid-teens, I was in trouble. And in fact, I was in deep, deep trouble. And I found myself actually angry with God and running from God for a whole host of reasons and many a bad choice. So by the time I hit my late teens and turned 20, I was antagonistic. I wasn't neutral. I wasn't apathetic. I was antagonistic towards God and his church. But then God came and mounted a rescue mission and over a protracted period of time, by the time I was 24, I made a recommitment to Christ. I got a second chance and I am so glad that he is the God of second chances. And I stand before you now because this God of ours is the God of the second chance. But one or two things did happen. There were things that, <coughs> excuse me, there were things that our God was waiting for. Those of you who've been tracking with me the story of Jonah will know that, that Jonah, this prophet of God, was told to go to Nineveh and he was too comfortable. He was a popular prophet, and more of that in just a moment. And suddenly he has this terrible mission, terrible because he was being sent to Nineveh, the, the Third Reich of its day, a terrible nation, a nation known for its brutality, a superpower that threatened the stability of the Middle East. And he was called to go to Nineveh and deliver a message against it. Chapter 1, verse 2, go to Nineveh and preach against it. I have seen your wickedness, I have seen your evil, and I'm coming to judge you. Boy, what a message. Jonah did a runner. He ran as fast and as far as he could from Nineveh, and he set sail for Tarshish, modern-day Spain. Nineveh was the far eastern point of the then-known civilized world, Tarshish was as far as you could get in the opposite direction. And you all know that in the middle of that journey, it came to disaster. You know that in the middle of that journey, Jonah was shipwrecked. He was, the, the, the ship was broken up by a violent storm. And God 
arrested, not laid hands on him and put a manacle on him, but he might as well have done. But that whole process of flight was, was, was stopped. And as he breathed his last, so we read two weeks ago, Jonah cried out to God, acknowledging his sin, acknowledging the fact that his punishment was banishment, exile, exclusion from the kingdom of God. And as he sank down to the very depths of the sea, as he entered Sheol, the land of shades, death itself, as he breathed his last, he said, oh God, what have I done? Or worse to that effect. Anyway, having stopped or been stopped, but having reflected upon his sin, having acknowledged that he was in sin, he repented he said, my hope, my hope alone is you in God, the God of our salvation. Salvation alone belongs to the Lord. And God, on this occasion, gave him a second chance. And that's how this, this starts here. And in that moment, for Jonah, there was an extraordinary point of clarity. Jonah knew what he was saved from, and what he was saved for. I'm going to repeat that. It's worth noting if you're taking notes. Jonah knew what he was saved from and what he was saved for. Can you give me some more water, please, Rich? Thanks. Struggling a bit with my voice. And that poses a question for us. What have we been saved from? What are we saved for? Now, interestingly enough, there is a bigger picture in all of this. Often in the scriptures, there's layers. And there's a layer here. We know that Jonah has just been saved from death. He knows he's been saved. And he knows <coughs> that his next step is a mission to Nineveh. But actually, the challenge there was that what God was asking of Israel was something very similar. Now, I'm not going to get too caught up in technicalities here. Thank you very much, Rich. Thank you. I don't want to get too caught up in te technicalities, but let me just give you a little background here. Israel, virtually more or less modern-day Israel, if you know your geography. Mediterranean's there. I'm doing this back to front. Mediterranean's there. There's Israel. And then you've got, you, you've got Syria. And way over there, you've got Iran and Iraq. What was happening in that day, in Jonah's early ministry, while he was a popular prophet, was that the nation of Israel was being undermined and threatened by Syria. In fact, Damascus, the center of the Syrian smallish empire, had spies and influence, had bought influence in the kings of Israel's court. So everything was under flux. Decisions could not be made because they were being undermined. Add to that, Syria was consistently making claims to Israel's territory. And everybody was afraid that Syria was going to overrun Israel. It was a very clear and present danger. And the message of good news, of hope, that God gave Jonah was to say this. He said, go to Jeroboam, the king of of Israel and say to him, re-establish the traditional borders. Drive them back. 
Do not be afraid because I am going to discipline, judge and destroy Syria. And it happened just like that. And so Jeremiah was able to reestablish the, the traditional borders and peace and prosperity broke out and everybody went, phew. Unfortunately, the means for this deliverance was that Assyria, a huge and powerful nation, swept round the north of Palestine and came down into Syria. And the instrument of God's judgment was Assyria, the capital of which was Nineveh. And so the people of Israel in the northern kingdoms there were going, oh, thank goodness for that. Glory, hallelujah, our God has delivered us. They had been delivered from the clear and present danger, but what they had not understood, that the greater danger was actually Assyria. That actually it was only a question of time before Assyria came down and picked them off too, and many of you will know that that's exactly what happened. They were actually carried off into exile. Ten tribes of the twelve were, were turned, made captive by the Assyrians. They were, they were exiled. And where are they now? Nowhere to be found. The Jewish nation of today, of Jesus' day, consists of what the remnant was of the, la of the last two tribes. Now I say all that to say this. Israel had forgotten where their salvation was. Israel had forgotten that it was in God alone that they were to be found and they were to be saved. And Jonah, he had the advantage that day as he stood dripping on that beach, having been delivered from the whale and raised from the dead. For him, it was crystal clear. The other point, and I said there were two things that Israel had forgotten was that God had always intended Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Book of Genesis, Genesis 15, the, what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God blessed Abraham and said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. This was part of the very kind of foundation of the nation. And they forgot that. Now let me just scroll forward and make a little point about today and the church of Jesus Christ today. I have this sneaky feeling that actually all too much of the time we are concerned and distracted and anxious about Damascus in so many words. Things come into our life and threaten us and destabilize us and cause us to be fearful and anxious and we, we pray fervently about them, and rightly so, and rightly so. But we forget that for every single one of us in earshot of my voice this morning, on the internet and all the rest of it, actually we share a far more clear and present danger. Whatever your circumstances, you may be riding high, you may be bucking all the trends in a recession. I was in Norfolk a couple of weeks ago talking to a businessman. And they are making money hand over fist. He said to me, recession, what recession? That might be your fortunate position. You may be at the other end of the scale. You may have lost your job. You may be a little too old to easily re-employ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Our Damascuses might be different and varied, but our Assyria is just the same, that we are all under the judgment of God. Every single one of us, whether you're a successful businessman in Norfolk or whether you're struggling to make ends meet here in, in St. Albans, Hatfield, London, Coney, wherever. The truth of the matter is we need to understand what we are truly being saved from. Salvation comes from the Lord. So, Jonah knew what he had been saved from. It was very specific in his case. And he knew what he was saved for. But the result of his message, the result of his message was revival. I'm actually quite surprised. It almost comes as a, a shock and a surprise. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Let's just read 3.10 here. Thank you. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That is an extraordinary verse. I've already told you of the fearsome and justified reputation of the Ninevites. How do you think they normally responded when a despised prophet from a despised vassal nation on the other side of the desert wandered into their town and preached judgment and correction and all the rest? They would normally not give him the time of day and probably give him a lot more. But there was something about Jonah that day when he wandered into Nineveh. There was something. He was walking in obedience. He was no longer running from God. He was taking a great personal risk. Why? Because God told him to. And he was speaking the very message that God gave him. Consequently, there was an authority about the man. He didn't, he may have looked like some sort of crazy man, but there was something about what he said that struck the Ninevites to the heart. And the message was passed on from word to mouth, from mouth to word, from person to person, so on and further and so forth until it got to the king. And when the king heard it, he didn't say, what is your problem? Get a, get a, get a life. He said, oh my gosh. Don't let the animals eat. They've got to repent too. We've all got to repent. And maybe God will turn away from that which he has planned for us. This is an extraordinary result of the preaching of Jonah. There is power in preaching. There is power in your words. Use them well. Use them well. Now, I have to sort of press the pause button here for a moment and confess something. Now I have your attention. I have a slight, I wouldn't say a problem, I, I, I struggle a little with the message here. I struggle with it because when I look at the message, it seems very different to the, the message that is commonly preached in the church of Jesus Christ today. The message is involved uh, with, it's all about judgment. So, for example, 
as I've already said in Jonah 1-2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, God appears to relent because when he recommissions Jonah to go to Nineveh, the next time the message is summarized as go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So it's as if the Lord's message has evolved slightly here at the Lord's own command from preach against it to proclaim what I give you for it. So there's been a progression there, a softening possibly. But the message that Jonah is clearly given is not one of, oh, people, please don't be like that because God loves you and and God wants to father you and, and God really, really likes you. And God will really bless you if you turn to him. It's not that kind of a message. The message that Jonah gives, the message that has life in it, is actually a message of judgment. The message that Jonah goes through the streets proclaiming is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There doesn't appear to be much good news in that. And as I was reflecting upon this, I remembered that in in Mark's gospel, we have a summary right at the beginning of the message of Jesus. And his message, according to Mark, is this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come among you. Hear the good news. Repent, good news, kingdom of God among you. You know, This business of repentance is interesting because I don't like, maybe I'm the only one, but I don't like being told I'm going the wrong way. Anybody like that? If Fliss corrects me, I still have to be careful because if Fliss tells me, Fliss is my wife, by the way, that I'm going the wrong way about something. If I'm not careful, I'll be prickly and I'll be defensive. Anybody else have that problem? We seem to be genetically predisposed to resist a message about going the wrong way, even when it's good for us. Yeah? You see, if somebody's telling me that I'm going the wrong way, I seem to have a default mechanism where I react against that. I don't like to be judged. I don't like to be told things where the person seems to have put themselves in a a superior position. I react very badly to that. But the truth of the matter is, If I'm going the wrong way, then actually what I want, what I need, is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Thank you, Matt. And we've got to find a way in the 21st century of not just saying that our God is the God who finds parking places. Well, our God is the God who helps get your kids into the right school. Well, our God is the God that helps you do well in an interview. 
Or our God is the God who helps mend your broken heart when a relationship goes wrong. Our God is all of these things because he's a father to us and as any father, he's concerned with the little things of our lives. But these are the Damascus issues. And there will be many. And I will pray to my dying day that God will give me a parking space, etc., 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 etc. But we need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the reality is that somewhere long, long, long ago, I think it was when that history teacher shared the reason for the hope he has within him when I was a 12, 13-year-old schoolboy. He somehow, even though he was not a gifted speaker, even though he blurted out the gospel, even though most of the, my fellow students thought it was incredibly funny and giggled throughout, he managed to convey the essential truth that without Christ, I'm headed for eternal damnation. I don't remember feeling scathed by what he said. I don't remember feeling defensive. I don't remember rearing up and wanting to punch his lights out. I don't remember that. And we certainly don't see the Ninevites here going, how dare you? Do you know who we are? Who the heck do you think you are, you hairy little prophet from Palestine? But there was something about the way Jonah spoke. And there was something about the way the history teacher, Mr. Oddie, bless his heart, spoke that touched me and compels me and drives me. I, I want you to hear that whatever else this wonderful church of which we're a part, the, the vineyard here has become, at its heart is a bunch of people who are worried about Assyria, are worried about the big deal, that without God, we face condemnation. Without God, we face judgment. And that's the message. And so when I reach out to somebody, and I do it instinctively now. I don't even try. When I reach out and try and show kindness or generosity or hospitality, I'm not just doing it because I'm trying to be nice. And let's please do that. But I'm doing it because I'm moved by the plight of those who are without Christ. And I desperately want them to know that salvation comes from the Lord. You know, we had a little incident last night. Got a phone call first thing this morning from Ray Siri, our building manager. Somebody broke into our food store. That ministry continues just to go up and to the right. The number of people, we, we had over 50 clients come in this week where we gave them food parcels and much more. But somebody broke into our food store last night. They broke in... They didn't cause massive, massive damage. It was almost done carefully. When they got in, they didn't trash the place. They just took a few food items and then left the way they came, leaving much untouched. 
And when I heard that, I don't mind telling you, it broke my heart. I found myself thinking, God, here we are in the Western Hemisphere, in Southeast England, in St. Albans, and people are breaking in to get food. My heart went out of that person because they've got a really serious Damascus problem. But even in that, I found myself thinking, do they know Jesus? Have they encountered him afresh? And I so hope they'll come on Monday and get more food. And I so hope that they'll, they'll receive a welcome. And they'll be prayed for. And that we'll deal with both Damascus and Assyria. In fact, you know what? I just feel prompted now. Would you mind just bowing heads? I just want to pray for that person, whoever they are. Lord God, you, we just ask your blessing upon that person who broke into the food store and stole a bit of food. Thank you they didn't trash the place. Lord, I sure hope they didn't hurt themselves as they came in through that forced window. Lord, wherever they are today, just may this be a good day for them. Lord, we forgive them. We ask your blessing upon them. And may they find more than food in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. So anyway, to sum up my message, we must finish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And my hope and my prayer is that we will be known far and wide, and I think it's happening, as a generous people, as a people who don't judge, don't criticize, don't undermine, as a people who are part of the solution, not part of the problem, as a people who are bearers of good news, not just bad news, judgment and criticism. But I do pray for Christ's sake that we are purveyors of the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That every single one of us, be we rich or poor, is lost without Christ. And until we reach out and convey that message, our work is not done. Like Jonah, may we be absolutely clear, every single one of us, what we have really been saved from. Eternal damnation. And what we are now for, to be a blessing to the nations. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's have the worship team up as I, as I just finish in prayer. Would you mind standing? Father God, we want to say thank you to you for your word, your, your truth, your whole truth. We want to be hooked on your truth 
And even if it seems bad news to us to begin with, may we quickly realize that actually, as you shout across the freeway at us, you have our best interests at heart. We ask, Lord God, that you would visit us again and again and again until we stop running, until we pause, breathless, bleeding broken may be, but as, as we pause, Lord God, maybe, may we then repent and turn from our wicked ways, repent of the evil we do, and be saved from that eternal judgment. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.